Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is a day of Obsidian, bringing y'all the second entry of the Kilimanjaro Collection. Today's episode is called Bodies of Matter, written by Marisha Tapera. Some of y'all might remember that name. Marisha played the narrator character in episode two of Obsidian called Off the Grid. She's an award-winning voice actor and a great person. We're really glad to be working with her again. So not only did Marisha write the story, but she's also the narrator for this episode as well. She's brought us a short but sweet story about Zura, a woman living during a crisis, with aspirations and goals that have her looking towards the stars. If you want to keep up with Marisha, follow her on Instagram at mcrituli. That's M-C-R-I-T-U-L-I. Cool. And without further ado, here's Bodies of Matter. Zura had always known a crisis would come. Huddled under nighttime blankets as a child, red plastic torch casting a guttering light onto the ancient typeset prophecies of Octavia Butler and Frank Herbert, she had understood that a certain kind of change was inescapable. Just as inescapable, it seemed, was her tendency to inaction. She and Maxie had been locked in debate about retro-sustainable living for years now. Earthships, solar arrays, lev containment, and laser-incinerating toilets. And they'd stockpiled a few components, tagged some web-feed resources, toured a few boxy little ultra-RVs, and followed countless social feeds on the topics including a few that informed them that aspirational and well-positioned black folk didn't benefit from that sort of unpacked hippie nonsense. So despite the nagging concerns she'd absorbed over time, she and Maxie had nothing actually useful in hand when things went pear-shaped. They didn't speak to one another for a few days, sequestered and sullen in their garden-style flat, relying on still-plentiful tube-couriered meals, regressing to bathroom squares. Their sonic bidet attachment was on the fritz, and Zura didn't yet have the stomach to resort to the old-school squeeze-jet alternative, and rhythmically stroking their media feeds through a perseverative glaze of news and social. She spent a few lackluster moments each morning checking a horoscope visual, as if it would be somehow helpful or even diverting. The predictions didn't yet acknowledge what was happening in the world, and she realized how narrow her own role in her daily life had become, so that the insipid astrological declarations from the viz seemed to echo fruitlessly around the hollowed crust of her psyche. She couldn't act on the suggestions beyond the border towns of kitchen and lounge, so what was the point? She noodled through the monthly horoscope anyway and the yearly, just in case. That was how she saw the alert about the meteor shower. It was due at the end of the month, and a quick perusal of local posts told her that an outdoor spot on a mountainside 40 minutes outside of town, and a two-hour hike up, 
was a perfect vantage for the cost of protected park entry. She skimmed a few other stories about local human foibles and worrisome AI glitches. She closed her communicator and went to get snacks and a bit of desultory sex from Maxie. She found herself unable to sleep. The darkness vibrated as it always did now with mental replays of news blasts and bot admonitions about health safety and moral responsibility. Now, those were overlaid with full-color scenes of Zura herself under a moving sky full of the streaking light of passing stardust. Was Maxie there with her in these visions? Zura couldn't tell, couldn't feel him there. She burrowed forcefully onto her side under a newly purchased variable weight duvet and pinched her lids firmly shut, breathing as deeply as she could, willing herself toward unawareness. But the visions persisted, and she found herself preparing. Checking her transport's range, setting aside stable food packets, and ordering a newer, sturdier porter light than the one from her childhood kidding out her communicator's camera to capture Starlap's images. She did all this without talking to Maxie. He was preoccupied with his own routines, slipping out daily for exercise, grumbling about near-miss encounters with rude fellow runners, checking the tube for deliveries, dutifully bringing her North Country stout, and touching her in the early evening as they sat in front of their projected entertainment. So, when Maxie had coughed his way through first a few days, then ten, she tried to be dutiful in return, slipping him anti-fever tablets and offering electrolyte solution through a silicone straw. He didn't seem to notice his body's fermented odor, or taste the food she tried to get him to swallow, shivering and fixed on the endless media chronicle of others struggling with the illness, presumably searching for avenues of rescue. If he found them, he didn't share them with Zura, at least not that she could recall. The meteor shower was only days away, and she had taken to gulping an essential oil tonic spiked with vodka every few hours, forcing it down over the embers lodged in her own throat in an attempt to keep them from bursting into a full, flaming cough of her own. Her hiking flats were ready, her navigation viz primed with coordinates. She'd used her new kit to take a few test images of the unseasonably clear night sky from the balcony, still somewhat clouded with city lights, but no less astonishing. She'd discovered vintage feeds of an early astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, whose romantic notions of the stars were soothingly nebulous compared with the current science. She fantasized about a creative project, his words, her images, and fell into a doze without dreams. Maxie's sleeping breaths were strangely high-pitched and staccato when she slipped out of bed early the morning the meteors were due. The darkness was suddenly full of white specks as she stood, swarming and persistent as she slid into leggings and Maxie's favorite orange fleece, 
the one she'd secretly wanted to buy for herself but had given him as a present a few years before. She planted one hand against the wall, bracing her trembling limbs and trying to see whether she'd awakened him. Blotchy shadows blurred the skin of his face in the gloom, his mouth gray and indistinct save the glint of teeth as it gaped and jerked. She blinked hard at the spot where Maxie lay for a long few minutes, pressing the sleeve of the fleece to her lips to stifle the aggressive push from her own lungs, then checked the time. She had three and a half hours to get to the mountain before the meteors began their glorious fall. She was going to have to hustle. So that was Bodies of Matter, written by Marcia Tapera and narrated by Marcia Tapera. That makes the second entry for the Kilimanjaro Collection. If you would like to submit to the Kilimanjaro Collection, just send an email to obsidianpodcast at gmail.com. The project is supported by a 2019 Ruby's Artist Grant, which is a program of the Robert W. Deutsch Foundation at https colon www.rwdfoundation.org. For more on Obsidian, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Obsidian Podcast. And we're on Reddit now, too, so make sure to follow that as well. Also, one more thing. If you enjoy the show, or you just enjoy the project in general, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That actually helps us a lot. All right, that's it. I'll see you all next time. Peace. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.